I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My name is Greg Young, co-host of the Bowery Boys, and this is OPP. Welcome to another episode of Other People's Podcast, a show that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is Greg Young, co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Bowery Boys. Greg, alongside co-host Tom Myers, focus on the history of one person, place, or event in New York City history. They started their show back in 2007, and with over 270 episodes to date, they are widely known as the rock star historians of New York City. I've called New York City home for nearly eight years, and this show has opened my eyes and allowed me to appreciate this amazing city even more. In this episode, we get to learn a little bit more about Greg, his early career in the music industry, how he got into podcasting, his podcaster's picks, and of course, we chat about his dope show, Bowery Boys. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Bowery Boys, Greg Young. Well, Greg Young, what's up, Doug? Hey, it is great to be here. Thank you. One um, half of the Bowery Boys in the building. Yeah, one half is here. The other half is is with an infant in the in New Jersey. So. Hey, you <laughs> not <know>? me. <laughs> you got business to take care of. I got business to take care of. I don't have time for that. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. But no, it's, it's a pleasure to, to meet you and to be here. Like, literally, this is how I discovered the Bowery Boys. Mm-hmm. It had to be, I would say, uh, three weeks ago, I'm at a bar. There's a girl sitting next to me. And she's like, you know, what are you doing? I was on a podcast. And she was like, oh, my God, like, what's your show? And I always ask people, like, what shows do you recommend? Give me three shows that I should mm-hmm. check out. So she's like, oh, the Bowery Boys. I was like, oh, tell me about that. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, she's from L.A. And she's like, I had oh, to study the history of New York. I had to come here and know something. <laughs> and it's like the best. And they have like 200 plus episodes. I was like, you have to be kidding me. And I'm a humongous history nerd. Oh, okay. So you just like tapped into a deep, deep well. Yeah, Man. we've got so many shows. It's crazy. My favorite episode was, uh, I probably caught 20. At this point. Mm-hmm. And my favorite episode is the Lower East Side. Oh, yeah. Well, were we, the, um, was it, I think the show, was that one called Orchard Street, yep. Life on the Lower East yep. Side? Yeah. Okay. I, I love that mm-hmm. episode. And one thing that I, I learned, too, about, about New York City is that we live in this era of fear, of change. Well, every era is scared of change. Yeah, it's just a different kind of change. Sometimes it comes from unexpected places, yeah. Y- yes, mm-hmm. but it, right now we're living in this gentrified era of New York. Of New York, uh-huh. And everyone's like, oh, New York, back in the day, how it used to be, York, so expensive. But going through the, the uh, Lower East Side episode made me realize that New York's changed a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because was it that was the... the 
German community lived in Lower East Side? It, yeah, it was the, well, it was, yeah, it was, it started German and then it went to the Eastern European, largely Jewish. Yes. And it was like, it was the most densely populated area in the world in for like a, for a decade, which is, I mean, now all that we know about the, our own world today, that sounds really shocking that that many people like, were like lived in these like sort of really, really horrible conditions. But then, yeah, so now that same area, there are new condos going up right. around there. And even the tenements that used to cram like 15 people in a floor are now going for like astronomical prices. I mean, that's where we started the show. That's where we started our podcast. Tom lived on Canal in Essex. Okay. And I lived three blocks away down on East Broadway. Uh, in this area where I was just like, because it was um, it was a street of old synagogues. I okay. was like, oh, this is never going to gentrify. It's like, who would want to live here? And I, I mean, I just went back like, you know, a couple years ago. And there's like a, a artisanal cheese place and a, <laughs> a beer place on the corner. And I, I was just like, yeah, I mean, I guess there's almost like, there's, there's no stopping um, gentrification, I suppose. But, so, but yeah. gentrification's happened a couple times over. Oh, it happens in, right, it happens in different waves. I mean, actually what we're dealing with now, gentrification in a way, in terms of Manhattan, is kind of over. Yeah. What we're dealing with now is a hyper-gentrification. The gentrifiers are being gentrified out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, which is nuts. But um, in a way, there's something about it that is, you can look back to the late 19th century and how people who had a ton of money just moved into, you know, like they, they indiscriminately moved into places because it was close to this or close to that or whatever reason and displacing people. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a, it's a story that plays out just very specifically in, in, in a very interesting way in New York and in Manhattan in particular, because it's a isolated Island. Right. So, right. I mean, so things that happen, it happens over and over and on top of each other yes. in a way that like is happening also in, in Brooklyn and obviously in the Bronx and other places. But um, they're not experiencing this sort of like strange layers in, the, in the, quite the same way. Exactly. It almost reminds me of like going to uh, like the Grand Canyon mm-hmm. and you can tell the history of the rock based on the color. Yes. That's a, that's a good analogy. You know? Yes. That's exactly kind of what's happening. I but, think. Yeah. But it's definitely cool to see. You know, it made me very grateful. Listening to that episode uh, made me very, very grateful to see change in New York. Like so many people have lived and died, and maybe that neighborhood was a shitty neighborhood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But at least to see, to see change happen is a yeah. cool thing. I mean, not to get like weird and spooky. I always like to. Th- I mean, part of the reason that I, I do those, we do the podcasts, especially those neighborhood ones, is I kind of want you to see the ghosts. You know, the people that used to live there. I mean, it's because it's so unimaginable. In a way, yeah, yeah, because you, things get redone. You know, your your the floor of your apartment is like has fancy new floors and like modern appliances. You can't possibly have imagined that a hundred years ago, you know, like eight or nine people who just came from a boat from Ellis Island used to live there. Right, you know? right, right, and right. So I think it's important to know that because there's a particular reason why you have come to New York if you're if you're not from here why you stay in New York if you are are from here and why your rent's so high you know there's a it's because this has always been sort of an exalted place a desired place a place where things happen um a place where you want to be a place that you know 
idealizes, symbolizes what it is to be American or what it is to be cosmopolitan or whatever. So because of that, um, that's part of the reason that you pay a little bit extra, I think. So, I mean, I, th- I think that knowing the history of all of that, like, like of all of the streets that you walked, kind of understand why the things are the way they are. I don't know. It makes you feel, it might make you feel a little bit better. It might make you feel worse, but I think it's more important just to understand it. Yeah, totally. You know, are you from New York? No, I'm from the Ozarks. I was born in Missouri. Oh, wow. (laughs) I was lived there for um, a really long time and Tom's from Ohio. So that was sort of, that was the novelty when we first started the show many, many years ago was that we were, we represented a, a particular New York type, which was the, um, um, which was the the person who came to New York, yeah, yeah. Like sort of like the domestic immigrant, if you want to look at it, those who kind of fled their states to come to New York because they were looking for something. So, um, yeah, what, what brought you to New York? Well, I was a journalism major um, at the University of Missouri. And I had an internship here and I was like a country bumpkin. I mean, I was like just, and I was like super religious and everything. And I had, I was just like, just naive. So all of a sudden I spent three months or two and a half months in New York City as an intern for Entertainment Weekly. Okay. Okay. So I had never been to a city, you know, my biggest city, I'd been to like St. Louis a couple of times and Kansas City a couple of times. That was it boom, all of a sudden I was living in the East Village for two and a half months. That totally changed my life, as you could possibly imagine. Discovered who I was in that in that period of time. Realized that this was the place that I wanted to be. And also there was something about the early 90s in New York that was really appealing to me. Um, both, you know, like sort of like intellectual aspects and maybe the more prurient aspects because I came back to, when I moved to New York, I was like, I'd go out to clubs all the time and I would just meet people that like I could never have imagined meeting when I was in Missouri. And then just in terms of career, like I thought I wanted to be like working in magazines and everything. And then I just, it was too dog eat dog. So I entered, entered the music industry, but then always in the back of my mind, knew that I wanted to go back to school one day and do history. Oh, okay. So knew that, but then I never really could afford it. I never really like took the time out to do it. So I just gave myself a history uh, education and then, you know, and fell more and more in love with New York with every year until, you know, 2007 when me and Tom started the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Where did the idea uh, of Bowery Boys come come from? Like, how did that even happen? Well, so the... um, the name itself, by the way, comes from the name of a 19th century gang. And there's also a comedy troupe from like the 1930s that we sometimes get confused with. But both the comedy troupe and us, we take our name from, from this gang. And, it, you know, it, we started in 2007. The movie Gangs of New York had come out like two years earlier. So that was really... That was really when people were talking about New York City history, they were really into five points and, and the gang activity. And so um, that's what we wanted, wanted to brand ourselves as that. And some, some of our early shows really focused on kind of five points in that area. But we started it, Tom and I are just old friends. We just go back a really long time. I was even roommates with his sister. Okay. Um, he he lived at Essex and Canal, so he lived in the Lower East Side. Lower East Side is living history all around you. And 
we're also like, you know, we want to put on a show. We're just goofy like that. So one day I had like a, I had just gotten my new laptop. I had GarageBand. He had a microphone. And we're like, what, let's do a show. And, you know, and iTunes, like podcasting was really, he just really started. And so really anyone could just do it and, and, and just put it up. And all of a sudden it would be on the iTunes store, which was a really weird concept. So we decided on New York City history because I had, again, sort of like dug really deeply into the breeding the history for years and years and years. And Tom was also... Um, he wanted to do something that was local because he loved the Lower East Side so much. He lived there forever. So he finally came up with the idea. The first show was about the history of Canal Street. And it's not a very good show, but it's sort of in doing that show and not really knowing what that show was, we figured out, okay, actually, you know what was fun about that is looking into the past and figuring out why it was named Canal Street. Oh. You know, it was named Canal Street because there used to be a big old pond called Collect Pond. Um, that was down by like all of the civic center, like all the courthouses and everything. So it was this big pond and this where all the New Yorkers got their drinking water, but they also dumped like, you know, horse carcasses in there or whatever. So it got super polluted. The city decided to drain it. And then by draining it, they had to build a canal to drain the water into the East River. And so wow. that's where Canal Street comes from. So, Dude, you're just fun to hang out with. Like, <laughs> well, I, I, I love history. And I'm just like in awe right now. This is great. Well, it's either fun or like super annoying at parties. I mean, I figure, I mean, our joke is that we, we've given like thousands of New Yorkers reasons to bore people at parties with, <laughs> with random trivia that they learned from our show. But we're fine with that. It's okay. Like, how do you get all that research? Like, what goes into the research of your show? That seems very difficult. Yeah. Well, we have a um, we have kind of a trick um, that we've sort of honed over the years, which is, um, and thankfully, we, we're on an every other week schedule now. Yeah. When we did a weekly schedule, what I'm about to describe was impossible. But um, essentially, we choose topics like maybe two months ahead of time. We come up with an just a basic outline of the story. Like and break I break it down into like four parts or six parts or whatever. Then, you know, then Tom and I kind of live with that outline. We just we do general basic research on a subject, just so we know the whole story. Then we assign like we assign parts. So in essence, I know the whole story, but for about half the story, I go really deep into the research, meaning that like this way allows us to do kind of double the amount of like really deep research. We can find anecdotes and historical trivia that's like was not easy to find, like looking in old newspapers, looking in old books, going to places and everything that way. And then we have a kind of a bad, then we, then it's a really, it's an improvised conversation but and then it's still kind of exciting because I have no idea what he's gonna so, say. Like I know that he has part two, like the early 1970s or whatever it is. I know that he's gonna talk about that. I know the bullet points of what he's gonna talk about, but I have no idea what special little surprises he's going to find. And there's, you know, the best part of us doing the show is finding anecdotes in newspapers or just weird things like that. And it's, you know, that brings the stories to life. I mean, that like being able to just dig deep and not just, you know, it's not like a Wikipedia page or it's not like an encyclopedia page or it's not even, you know, it's not even like you're on a tour of something because the, the, the kind of things we find would be like looking into like, you know, 
you know, old anecdotes from books from the 1940s, you know, that kind of thing. So that's how we kind of structure the shows. And when we get together and I mean, our shows end up being way too long when we record. And so the thing, the end product that you hear is probably like 60 to 65% of what we used of what we record. Okay. And the recording and the, you know, the hard part, the enjoyable part and the hard part is the editing process because it's like I can't put out a show that's two hours. That would be ridiculous. And also, like it's it tends to be that tends to be kind of unfocused. You want people to stick with it, and you want to be able to do service to the story. So, you, you know, then I whittle it down to like fifty minutes or an hour sometimes. So depending on what it is. Was there a podcast that? Um, got you into podcasting. Like for me, it was Guy Raz and How I Built This. Mm-hmm. That was the first show oh, that yeah. I... yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That was the first show that I tuned into. And they got me like, oh, maybe I could... Because I think Silent Giants, even the way that it's structured, uh-huh. is based around a little bit of that show. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you say that because we started so early that we didn't we didn't base anything around podcasts. We based them on like radio shows. Wow. I mean, so, every, so Car Talk... Is, I don't know if you're familiar with Car Talk. No, what's so Car that? Car Talk is it's actually a radio show, but they now have all the episodes on pod, um, on in podcast form. The one of it's two guys, and all they do is talk about cars. But so many people listen to it who have nothing to do with cars because it's about a, it's about how they talk about cars. So okay. so I listened to that for years. Um, Tom's also was into a lot of NPR and so had a, had his own influences. Um, so that's what we, I mean, so that's kind of what we start with. Like those were ideas that were kind of bouncing in our head at first. Um, in terms of specific podcasts that were influences at the time, um, you know, there were, there were so interestingly different back in the, 2007 2008 a lot of them were just radio shows i mean a lot of a lot of the voice that i would call a podcast voice didn't really get kind of gelled into something that's very specifically a podcast probably until like 2010 a lot of that has to do with like this american life and those type of spinoffs but um i we were never really specifically influenced by that i didn't listen to the too many of those i, I mean i like them but that's not that's not where I take, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's non-podcast influences, I guess. That's very interesting. I never thought of things that went into it because obviously something did. How did we know? To talk? Right, right, right. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess we just decided to talk to each other and see if it worked. And then after a while, we became affected in certain ways because we had other influences. But, yeah. And, and also, like, even sometimes I feel like with the format of a show, a lot of it kind of happens by accident. Where it's yes. like, oh, that works. Oh, I like that. Like, I remember the first interview that I did, I had a guest and he just went on with stories and stories and stories. And it wasn't like a lot of back and forth. <laughs> and yeah. I, I would try to ask a question, but he would have this like long story that would go on. And um, I realized, I was like, man, that interview wasn't that good. They get to ask him a lot of questions. But when I went back and went through the process of, of listening, I was like, oh, this is really engaging because he's just- you, yeah. He must have given you. He must have known that like he needed to present material in a way that was like that you could then at least work with it from an audio. Right, it wasn't or, a conversation. Right, because it made it like, oh, okay. Well, like, this is what to, is to go for. So even I'll even say now, I'm, you know, give me a story. Tell me the story behind that. Mm-hmm. You know, direct, yeah. like that direct question. 
Yeah, I mean, the the challenge with reporting with Tom, I mean, now we have, we actually have guests on the show now um, once in a while, but it's still mostly just Tom and I. And it can be challenging to do a conversation show, especially if you know the other person, because you talk over each other. I mean, the things that you're natural in your natural conversations sometimes don't exactly work in a podcast. Mm. And so we have to, in a way... I mean, we don't script our show. Again, it's an improv show, but we, in a way, will we will shape our back and forth so that we're not talking over each other all the time. And so, because that, that can be really annoying. In our early shows, we do definitely do that. And it sounds, I just think it doesn't sound professional. Um, I mean, it's not, it can sound fun. Yeah. But now it's like we've, we've done it for so long. We've, we basically learned how to have a conversation. Um, in a way that is like outward, that is basically like people are listening. <laughs> well, well, there's a rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with you guys being, you know, uh, co-hosts mm-hmm. and having like back and forth dialogue, you know, for me, I'm going to grow my audience out because I'm interviewing someone else and they have social media. Yeah. And how did you guys grow your audience out? Well, so it's like, it, it's a long, slow process. I mean, it's, it started, it just started at the very beginning with how iTunes was back in the day, which was they, so many people were throwing like, kind of like just recording their voices. Podcasts were so weird back in the early days um, that we were actually doing something that seemed relatively polished and seemed to have a point. So we didn't know who was listening to it. And by our fourth episode, all of a sudden, boom, we were on the front page of iTunes for two weeks. Wow. So that was actually the biggest because had we never gotten that, we might have quit after the sixth episode because it was like, yeah, who's listening, right? I mean, I didn't even like get into like Twitter until like, when was it? Like 2009. And I didn't really start using it effectively probably until another year after that. So I think a large part of it had to do with number one was just having a separate website, having a blog. Okay. Um, it's like my, my roots are in writing, not recording. So I always, um, I was doing all this research. I'm like, well, I'm not using everything. Why don't I just like write some stories for the blog? And, um, uh, that's stuff that I didn't use or sometimes stuff that I did use. And then sometimes then of course I promote the podcast on the blog. So it would just be all of a sudden it accumulated so much that like my, our SEOs went up. We started getting links, especially we have never gotten actually the, the types of attention that I used to get like seven or eight years ago, back when there was like Gawker and Gothamist and all these, like they used to link to stuff that we did all the time. So we got huge traffic. So, but that was just writing. But then some people would stop there and be like, oh, there's a podcast. So that was one way. Okay. Another way. That was a pretty big way. Then um, the really, I think that our really big turning point um, and this was just like, we were just persevering or now we were, we were doing what we were doing the best that we could do, getting listeners, slowly growing our audience. And then we got a call from NPR, all things considered, like one of their reporters listened to our show and was a fan of our show. And um, it was, this was back in the day when NPR was just dabbling in a podcast. So just the idea of doing a podcast was kind of, oh, this is novel. So they did a little piece on us. 
and it brought it was on broadcast nationwide and so wow. that was so then the audience took another big hit you know jump up so then i would say from that moment it's just been us jumping from like opportunity to opportunity some of them are like accidental like the npr thing was accidental some of them you just find yourself whether they be kind of partnerships of different kinds that are outside of your world like one time we partnered with the uh there was a a national like landmarking movement so we just we got a a press release. And so I responded and said, Hey, we can do something. And so you just latch onto that. And so for like, that's a different window. And so it's just, you're just jumping from spot to spot, finding any aspect that you can tie the thing that you do into. Yeah. And that just gets you a little bit larger and larger. And then. This mother's day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And you hope that by doing that, those accidental things pop in and then, and those are the things that then will move you forward, you know, five spaces as opposed to just like one or two. So another example, uh, just to tie into Twitter, um, cause this is like, I'm so happy that this panned out. Cause again, I, um, I used to really be into like pop culture entertainment. I, I mean, I still am, I guess, but there's been, because of, because TV right now is, is also changing. It's also really big and people are pouring these huge budgets into TV shows. TV shows are, they're doing a lot of history shows, shows that are set in the past or have these large budgets. So there were so many that were set in New York city history. I was like, well, how can we tie ourselves into that? And then how can we benefit from that? So part of it was um, when there would be a TV show, for instance, Mad Men, Mm -hmm. When Mad Men was on, um, I would sit in front of the TV. It was like a it was like an Olympic event for me. They would show Mad Men, like it would be live because I didn't have screeners or anything back then. I was just watching it. I would hashtag Mad Men, but then while the show was going on, I would jump. I would like do historical trivia that was being shown on the screen because Mad Men was like. Oh, it'd be on during Martin Luther King's assassination, or it would be like they would be on Fifth Avenue while this thing was happening, or oh, or wow. so I would just it would be like okay, research fast, t- like five minutes. Okay, that actually happened. So then I'll tweet that. So I just kept doing that. I kept finding shows to do that with, like Boardwalk Empire, and um, so I kept doing that. And then one day, a TV show. My intention was I want a TV show to notice that I'm doing this. So that we can partner. Yeah. And so sure enough, that's that's happened. We've done it twice now, where like we actually had like like a contracted deal with a TV show to do a series of things. And so all of a sudden you're like, you're now not only are you like making money off of it, but you're actually making what you do relevant. Because right. you know, so we recently just did something with um the alienist which was this um, crime show from like the late 19th century. It was on TNT. Okay. And they were like, oh, we love what you guys have done with this other stuff. So 
I guess that, you know, the, the point is, is just to look in unexpected places. Cause I imagine that most, um, you know, most people who are caught up in a world of history, whatever, would never have thought, let me see what's on TV, you know, but like, and then if you see it, like, well, I don't know how I can tie into that. I don't know those people, you know, it's just finding ways to like, take what you do and just like, like, even if it's a stretch, (laughs) finding a way to attach it to you, especially on something like Twitter, um, you can find a huge audience. You can find people who are like, would never look for your, would never know about your show. You know, I mean, you know, we, we have this, we've turned people on to podcasts because they didn't listen to podcasts, but then they caught us doing something else. Right. Right. I mean, it's very weird how, um, how you pull your audience together. It's also too, uh, what I love about your show is the importance of your show. You know, I I think that, there's some entertainment that's just like frou-frou. Um, yeah. That's like, oh, yeah, I'm just kind of killing the time. <laughs> but I think this, is, this will serve a, a utility that's going to last for years and I years think, and years yeah. and years and years. Like Thank the history you. of New yeah. York being preserved. Especially it's, I don't know a platform that has at all done it. Like I don't know a platform that I can tune, tune into mm-hmm. and learn the entire history of one of the greatest cities in the world. Yeah, I mean, the and you know, it's it's been tough because... You know, politics has changed in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And re- actually, all of a sudden, the things that we say and the things that we're talking about, which we consider to be very non, we do not consider ourselves, we don't want to touch politics. We don't, we want people to, we want a safe space. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, we live in a world where everything is politics in a way. And so we can't just talk about Emma Lazarus and the Statue of Liberty without talking about the immigrant situation. Right. And then, and then without drawing too many, we don't want to draw too many like parallels to modern world, but let the audience decide, you know, I mean, we, it's just weird now that we'll do a subject and we'll say a sentence and Tom and I will pause and I'll be like, didn't that just happen last week? I mean, there's like, it's so in a way, the history is even more important to understanding how we live today. It cannot just be to when you walk down the street so that, oh, I know the history of the street. That's great. It can just be like, oh, I think I'm understanding what it's like to be a New Yorker, what it's like to be American, what it's like to be human um, because of these stories. Have you found that people have now viewed you as an expert of New York City history? Yeah, and I think that we are now. The funny thing is I did, we did we were not when we started yeah. <laughs> obviously um we grew to become that we, we grew to become authorities but I mean I would say that an audience will see through you if you don't really know your stuff I mean when people always ask me like advice of like starting podcasts I'm like you should know like you should start a podcast and something that you just want to keep talking about. And eventually you'll become the expert. You will have, a, or there'll be a period of, um, what is it called? The imposter complex Yeah, where there's like, there's a period where people will look at you for guidance and they will look at you for an authority, but you won't quite feel it yet, but then you'll get there. I mean, if you keep talking about it, if you keep doing it, you, 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 People will, in a way, re- people in a way recognize that about you before you will. And I think that was the way that, you know, how we were at first. Um, like, I listen to those early shows and I cringe because I'm like, Ugh. but the thing is, is actually, factually, they're okay. It's just that I remember myself in the situation feeling like I was like treading water. Yeah, yeah. You know, and now I know 
the depths of those subjects in such a different way that I'm like, how on earth did we talk about that back then? But, you know, people will know if those facts were wrong, people would have stopped listening. But like, it's just, um, it's just, uh, and then once you get that confidence in your show, then that's when your show will like go to the next level. Yeah. Because then it'll, then you'll feel, you'll feel the confidence to, to, to blow it out and even make it larger. Oh, were there any mistakes that you made along the way? Like just starting out that you wish like, damn, if I'd only known, I would have done this a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I mean, this, we made a lot of weirdly right decisions, which I have to say, which was like kind of accidental. There is a lot of stuff. Um, it has to do with the blog and things like that. I mean, there's a, and there's also, we should have had as a more confidence in ourselves earlier on because there's a lot of things that people are like, Oh, why don't you have this? Why don't you have a, t-? you know, we only, we have a, bu- a book out that came out two years ago. We okay. probably should have done a book five years ago. Um, people are like, why don't you have a TV show? Why don't you have this? Like, there's a bunch of stuff that like, we probably should have jumped on that earlier. It should have, we should have been a lot more proactive about like what we, what we were presenting was really unique. And I don't think that we, you know, we quite knew it or knew the contours of what it even was. And I think that we let a lot of opportunities slide early on that I think would have been really beneficial Hmm. for audience growth and just for like our livelihood. (laughs) I I would have been able to quit my corporate job faster had I taken some of those. But um, a lot of it was just like we had cold feet, you know, like if someone calls you up, if an agent calls you up and they're like, I mean, not everything's going to work out, but I think that sometimes you just got to, you just got to check. You have to, you have to see if that's going to work. You have to take every opportunity, at least when you're starting out, I think you should take every opportunity that you can. You don't have the opportunity. You don't have the opportunity to say no. And I think we said no a few too many times at first. Okay. I think part of it was just sanity, but like, you know, if you want to be successful, sometimes you got to like, you know, push, (laughs) push through the craziness, I think. So what is your favorite episode, uh, of the podcast. I mean, you're, you're over 200 and what, 250? What, what are you right now? We're at 264. Ooh, who's um, counting? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's so many that I like for so many different, in so many different ways. I'll tell you a personal, I have, so I have to say solo shows and duo shows. Cause there's, there's a, you know, I, Tom and I are most of them, but then I do many on my own. Yeah. So, um, so I have so I have two different like ways of evaluating them. Uh, the ones that Tom and I do, I mean, there's so many that like we have fun stories. Like the telling them are really fun. I always love all the ghost story shows. Yeah, that we do honestly because the way we do them, the way we record them are just hilarious. Like we just we, we literally decorate the studio and Halloween decorations. And <laughs> it's like it's yeah. Um, in terms of I think the like the information. I mean, I like our shows on like Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs. Those were the two, basically like the two voices of the 20th century that shaped our city. Robert Moses was the parks commissioner turned power broker who essentially built all the highways and that, you know, destroyed a lot of neighborhoods, but built a bunch of parks and is a very controversial figure. And then Jane Jacobs basically invented, um, she was, she's like the, community organizer neighborhood activist okay. who, who tried to 
make things more about neighborhoods in New York. So, I mean, these are kind of like, I mean, these are high difficulty shows, I guess. And so I guess I'm really proud that we were able to like pull them off really, really well, really well. I think people always, I mean, our Robert Moses show is probably our number one show of all of their shows. Oh, that we wow. listen to. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's funny cause there's shows that like New Yorkers love and then there's, and then there are shows that like, I mean, our Times Square show and our subway shows are obviously like perennials. Um, in terms of my solo shows where I get to be a little more experimental, um, and so I, I, b- before we were recording, I was telling you, I used to work in the music industry. So, um, I did a show on the cotton club and I actually, I like, love that okay. episode. And the reason I like it is because all the music yes. I got to use, I asked for, for permission for all the music and I was, so I didn't feel, I felt fearless. And the thing is, is like, I want to get into it here, but like, I under, I mean, I understand music licensing. It's what I did for a living. So I understand what, what you can and can't use yeah. as, a, as a podcaster. Um, in that show, I wanted to even use more than what I sort of could, I would normally feel comfortable because I felt like the story of that, you cannot talk about that unless you hear it. Yes. Yes. You know, because of the talent that went through it to just have me talking about it, I think would have been absurd. So I just decided. So, I mean, that I love that um, as a thing that I did because of that, because of that. Um, I, I love that episode. I, I, I didn't know anything about Jack Johnson. Oh, I know. Isn't that weird? I didn't know that Jack Johnson started the club, but then the way that it's described like in conversation is that it's this like hip black club that like you know all the black people used to go chill at and then you through your episode i learned uh-huh. it was not that at all oh i know it did. well it has a it has a different reputation than what it actually is because of the because of cab calloway and duke ellington and you just assume it's like oh that's where we all went during the jazz age right. wasn't that amazing but really it's like no it was like a southern plantation inside and you know african americans were not allowed to actually sit and enjoy the entertainment and yeah it's it's actually like not cool right and it's called <laughs> the cotton club like, no, I mean, why don't, yeah, I mean, and that's not the, I mean, there were other clubs. There was like the Plantation Club. I mean, it was like, it's ridiculous. Wow. But, yeah. um, I, I was so, like, such an awe. So to tell, but do I had, but you have to tell that story because the, what, what's front and center, it has to be the musicians. Right. And by the way, just in, on the Duke Ellington part, because this is, I mean, I can't believe this happened. We also did a show on the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. And, okay. and with that, we actually hosted an event there. Okay. So the Cathedral of St. John Divine, Duke Ellington at the end of his life was, was a, he went to the church and he recorded uh, two or three um, like album, look, concertos. Like there were, there were like a sort of experimental pieces. And so, um, and so he went there and then he also died there and his funeral was there. His huge funeral was there. Well, when we performed at the Cathedral of St. John Divine, um, their, their backing band was the Duke Ellington Legacy Band with his grandson. Wow. <laughs> so we were on stage with his grandson and we talked, we were just like, we were like, we talked to him about the funeral. He was a young man at the funeral. I mean, I was like, un, like that's where like, I, there are these moments where Tom and I will just turn to each other and like, are we dreaming like at this point, like that this little 
ridiculous thing that we started in your apartment that, you know, had really bad sound quality. Here we are in the cathedral of St. John Divine talking to Duke Ellington's grandson. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's, I can't even say it's a dream come true because how would I possibly have dreamt any of this up? It's, it's, it's surreal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and so uh, now we come to that part in the show yeah. where I'm going to ask you, uh, your picks. What are your top three podcasts that you think that we should be listening to and that you're a fan of? So here's the funny thing is I, believe it or not, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts because... Because you, you have to edit them. Because well, I, I, I listen right. to so much of our own podcasts because I don't have someone else. So it's... And then so I'm also a music lover. So I have to like, there has to be some time in the day for, for music. But there's a lot of shows that... I have been just regular listen. Like I've, so for instance, there's a show called film spotting, um, which is just about like, it's a, it's a film show, but they've, they're actually as old as we are. I think they're based in Chicago. It's just, it's, it's two guys in a room. Um, they have, they're really engaging. They're the, I would say, I call them old school podcasters where they have slight radio voices, even like okay. they're, they're not, um, they don't have a sort of modern vocal inflections. Let's just say they're, okay. um, they're, I find them very nice to listen to and they're, they're inspiring because they kind of got on this. I mean, this whole Patreon tip now that we're all like kind of like making individual, like people are supporting shows by giving them a little amount of money. They just, they were doing this on their own. They had this, their own idea to do this and people have been supporting them for years. So they've been very inspiring to me. Okay. Um, in terms of, let's see, what would be number two? I mean, 99% Invisible is an extraordinary show. I think that is out in San Francisco. Um, the shows are about, if you haven't heard, it's about 20 or 30 minutes long. It started, again, it's another old show. I mean, I'm, that's what's funny about these. I'm, I've stuck with, with them as listeners since like for eight years or whatever. 90, 99% Invisible started as a like design show which was weird. Okay. But it actually kind of has branched out into all these wonderful quirky subjects. So it's about for like one whole show is about the um, strange, like there's a song that all of the garbage trucks play in South Korea, but it's a random song that someone wrote in the eighties or something. I can't remember the story, but like they find these like super bizarre stories. And so each episode is sort of like about these twists. And sometimes they, they do shows about New York city history, which is interesting. Okay. They do talk about architecture. So that is my um, second one. I'm going to announce a third one. That's brand new. That's a totally new show that like, I just, it's only two episodes and I have like been obsessed with both of them. I can't wait to see where this goes. And it's called Decoder Ring. Okay. And it's a, um, Willa Paskin. She's a, she's a TV, uh, normally a TV critic. She's, and the concept is weird. Maybe that's why I like these. Not all of these have like very non, slightly non-specific concepts. The idea is quote, cracking cultural mysteries. But the first episode was about the history of the laugh track. Like oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, like, why? Like, why did they? Why did they introduce them? Why did they go away? What were the psychological things about the laugh track? So that that is you have to listen to it. Oh like yes, a, I'm very interested in that. So then, then the second one that just came out is like bonkers to me, and it's it's called um, the the title of the episode is called is basically who gets to decide if Sherlock Holmes is gay. <laughs> 
And it's about weird core fanship of things and about how like, like, like could have like deep dark web fan bases develop that then get kind of bitter and angry and think that they have a say in how the shows and how they how these things and like star wars has been affected by this and so this whole episode was about how basically they're not making any more sherlock's because the fans got so nasty because they wanted them to be gay wow <laughs> it's the and that sounds that might sound strange but anyway so these two are very promising so i'm gonna make that dakota ring is the third one and okay to that too because it's like um, I mean, it's a, uh, it's yeah. I was just like the, walking with my mouth agape for like half the show. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" With this? <laughs> anyway, so those are my three. Then, uh, Greg, what inspires you to podcast, man? Um, finding new, interesting ways to interact with the city, like. Uh, People are always asked, like, do you get bored? Do you think you're going to run off subjects? I'm like, we have more subjects now lined up than we did five years ago. Because you look underneath something and you find three more. And, you know, again, it comes down to, like, the more I do these shows, the more I understand the place I'm living. You know, why is the subway so late? Well, you know what? There's probably a historical reason behind that, you know? And, you know, why is this? I mean, why are, you know... Why is it so hard to get to Red Hook? Why is it, you know, why is it so easy to get to other places? Why are there like nine subway stops at Atlantic Center? But like, yeah, impossible to get to Red Hook. There's a historical reason for that, which we cover on the show. So there's, um, I, feel, I feel like it's an explainer. It explains things for the city to me and, and continues to do so. And also it's just, it's been just a pleasure to interact with listeners and in, in, in emails, social media, at live events, which we hope to do more of, you know, I mean, that is like, um, that's a, it's the world of podcasters as rock stars is, is, you know, we're, we're belatedly starting to kind of address that and do some more live shows. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, um, but that is a huge angle. So it, part of that's just, it's exciting to meet people who are excited about what we're talking about. So. Well, Greg, man, I appreciate you. Bowery boys, man. I love, 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 love your show. Well, I am. Well, I am thrilled. I'm digging through the back catalog of your show, and I cannot wait to see who you have lined up for OPP. This will be great. Oh I man, it's a great. It's a great idea, and I, I think it'll be really successful. And I mean, you're going to have people lining up to interview you. Trust me. Uh, I, I, ho- I hope so, man. Well, Greg, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you. No problem. Thank you all so much again for tuning in to another episode of Other People's Podcast and to today's special guest, Greg Young. Please be sure to check out Bowery Boys by hitting the link in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. Also, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants, which focuses on the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'll have the link to that provided for you in the description as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. Hold up. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.